everyone, welcome to episode 118 of Epic Bruce Podcast. This episode is our press conference interview with Patrick Warburton, who we've been big fans of forever. You know, Joe Swanson, uh, Kronk, David Putty, if you're a Seinfeld fan like me, um, Lemony Snicket, Lemony Snicket, um, Brock Samson from Venture Brothers, like, the list goes on. Apparently the TV version of Buzz Lightyear. Oh, TV version of Buzz Lightyear, too. Yeah, I used to watch Toy Story cartoons, oh, really? too. Yeah, so I probably should know that. <laughs> and, you know, his, his his list of credits just goes on and on. Yeah. But very nice guy. Um, We got to chill out in the press room. We had a whole bunch of other media outlets. That was my first press conference. Same. Yeah. So very interesting. First press conference to me, too. So. It's pretty cool though good experience yeah it was a very chill like press conference though like everyone yeah. was pretty respectful mm-hmm. and like yeah, there wasn't like too many people in there no definitely not. So i think it went rather well yeah and you no even one... got to ask a question <laughs> i did ask a question so you guys are here my question hope you guys <laughs> like it um and momocon was great so shout out to everyone there for having us and for being super organized and uh yeah it was a chill con cool video games cool guests cool cosplayers and it was just a chill weekend. I had fun. So yeah, yeah. fun time. So thank you, Mama Khan. And um, hopefully we get to go next year also. But without any more delay, this is Patrick Warburton answering a few, well, a good amount of questions yeah. from various, one, yeah, various outlets and one from <laughs> us. But we wanted to share with you guys because it's a cool experience we want to share with you. And he talks about some really cool things, like yeah. if you're trying to get into voice acting, stuff He's like that pretty nice like, yeah nice and guy. very like he actually took time to like explain mm-hmm. and, and like actually give real answers definitely like thought out answers so mm-hmm. and i will say <laughs> he passed me on the way to the restroom before the interview and i said hey patrick and he turned he, he like turned back and gave me the peace line so that was cool <laughs> so yeah nice guy nice guy overall um enjoy the episode and um you know follow us and everything and leave feedback on apple podcast and Everything you can leave feedback on. We're everywhere. And check out Ready to Ramble, our yes. other podcast and that we submit. have going on. Submit to Ready to Ramble. Yes, yeah, submit at oddcast.com. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Enjoy the episode, and we'll see you next time. Talk to you next time. See you next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk oh, to we you guys next you. time. <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have a fun interview, though, so look out for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks, right. guys. Enjoy. over work a couple decades back and I'm really glad that I did and I've had a lot of fun and great opportunities but they're so different and I can't uh, say it really that I, you know, I like one more than the other but one of the things I appreciate when you do an animated project especially if you're doing a Disney film is uh, you know we as voice actors just lend our voice to the project it's such a small part of it actually it's an integral part but when you look at all the work that all the animators and so many artists do in a project like this, and then you see it all come together, there's nothing more fun than that because you're just going in and you're recording. In a Disney film, they film you 
recording, and they actually take your you take your mannerisms and your certain facial features, and the next thing you know, you're looking at it, some sort of amalga rhythm or whatever of yourself. You know, the first time I saw Kronk, I was like, people were like, I think that my family's like, well, it kind of looks like you. Or <laughs> Really? Thanks. <laughs> well, I guess so. Um, it's, you know, it's just kind of neat to see it all kind of come together and to see so many artists' efforts come together. Um, you know, in live action, you pretty much know what you're going to get. So, sorry. So your voice has been has been described as a boulder with a face that you that you, that you, you could kiss. <laughs> Okay, so... Yeah, I said I've never heard that. I love it. I will take that. So a boulder. Because it's powerful and booming, but yet also has a level of nuance to it that is unheard of. So because with Team Kronk and Brock Samson and some of your other numerous roles, how do you achieve that level of nuance? Well, uh, thank you. That's very complimentary. I've... There are voice artists that uh, are chameleons, and I'm certainly not one of those. Um, and there are times that I admit perhaps I wish I, I was. So there's a certain similar timber quality to a lot of different characters I do. They're not the same, but they're not super, super different. Um, um, it, it, it's weird, is you know, just all of us, it's human nature not to be, you know, thrilled with any, any, any aspect of ourselves. We've become so critical. I remember growing up, um, you know, not liking my voice as much as anybody might not like their voice. I, I do my outgoing message on my phone machine 15 times, and I'm just like, I, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I think I just hate my voice. That's why, you know, and everybody, you know, I think we all become critical of, of our own voices. I don't know if we can even, we even hear ourselves the way others hear us. Um, but when it comes to approaching voiceover work, I, I, I literally just try to be, uh, you know, creative and uh, and thoughtful and whatever that is. So if it was Kronk, I discovered early on that they can have four pages of a description of a character, but they still don't know what the character sounds like until they hear it. So you have you. Uh, so what's fun for me is just to get creative and and say, well, what does this Kronk sound like? Well, he's a villain, but he's reticent. He's a henchman, but he's reticent. And he likes to cook. So instead of making him dark. You know, you made him, I just kind of made him sweet, kind of down here like that. <laughs> you know, and then they responded to that, and so I guess you got to show them what a character sounds like, and and uh, that's the process, I guess, that I've always in, in, enjoyed. Um, oftentimes, as, as actors or artists, we try to, we get in that trap, the trappings of trying to figure out what the right way of doing something is, as opposed to the creative way. And the creative way is usually what ends up being the right way. It's a, a long, probably non-answer to your question. Uh, it, it was great. <laughs> was it good? Okay. What is uh, something that you thought was true for a really long time, but then found out wasn't? Well, okay, so the question, what did I, what did I think was true for a long time, but then found out wasn't? Hmm. Okay. Remember the first acting workshop I was ever in? So mystical. It was a bunch of BS. Um, I find there are a lot of acting coaches out there, and they, uh, you know, they're like these self-appointed gurus who, uh, you know, um, sit on their pedestal and they're critical, and 
they make everything seem so mystical and elusive when uh, I really don't believe that it is. I went to a workshop on after that on Ventura Boulevard, um, headed by a guy named uh, run run by a guy named David Baird, and he was a playwright and a director. He was from Louisiana. He was kind of a no nonsense kind of guy. He was a successful playwright, and 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 he made some movies and um, uh, he wrote a play that ran for you know four years in London, um, 900 Aniata. Worked with a lot of great people, and uh, he was. Um, he believed, like, you know, uh, he he was on the same page as uh, Lawrence Olivier in that ninety nine percent of acting is confidence. So people would come to that workshop and they would suck, and uh, he would just focus on the one positive thing. You know, how about so and so's voice, this or that? You know, and and just it was always a, like a positive thing. Uh, in regards to scenes, a scene didn't go great. He'd just go. So again, faster, funnier, go, you know? And so oftentimes, because, you know, actors, you know, you, you gotta make something meaningful, and there'd be these beats, you know, where you could drive an 18-wheeler through, and it's like, you know, keep it moving. So this thing was always about pace, keep things moving, keep it connected. He sort of demystified it, let everybody know that they could do it, and everybody would grow fast, because you're, if you're confident, you're more creative. And the more creative you are, the more chances you take. So that would be the one thing that, you know, I believed early on was that there were secrets and I didn't know them. And then you realize it's not. It's just experience, you know, experience and exploring. And, and everybody can find the, the answers there. My son Talon uh, is, uh, boy, he's a big boy, he's six foot five, 230 pounds. He's, um, and he, he got down at 5% body fat, so he just did his first bodybuilding competition. He's not a muscle head. He's actually self-taught Japanese. He was a beekeeper by the time he was 11. He's, he meditates. He uh, is a very, very deep individual, but he just found he had a propensity to get large fast. So he's not one of those just obsessed with that. He's just doing it. Uh, and he's an actor now, but he also does voiceover work. He started by doing voiceover work because, you know, he'd like to impersonate dad and he had fun with it. And then I go, well, if you're gonna do that, why don't you act too? And he goes, well, I didn't think that I could. Why? Why don't you think you can act? The thing is, you got to be inspired. Don't do something you don't want to do. But if you're interested in acting, you want to act and perform, and you're already being creative voice-wise, why don't you do take an acting workshop? Why don't you be an actor? Oh, you know, almost like people don't think they can do it. I really believe anybody who's inspired to be creative can act. They can be creative in that you know aspect can act. Not everybody's Daniel Day-Lewis, but... Um, he's an actor with a, you know, just an incredible work ethic and a great talent. But um, it's just not one of the things that I did find. And then another long answer is that it's not quite as mystifying, I believe, as, as uh, you know. And um, it is an industry where there's, um, there's it, it, just the nature of the industry is a, a lot of pats on the back. But it's just about being creative and doing the work, and uh, it really isn't magic. What's the role you think you've learned the most from? Um, every role has different challenges. Some, some are so uh, just inspiring and everything's there that it's easy. Um, I 
played a character called the Tick years ago and had so much fun doing that. But that, you know, he's ingenious because it's, it's an ingenious character because he's insane but brilliant at the same time. He can be very, very naive and then, you know, cut you with a knife. It's just, he's just so wonderfully conceived and Ben Edlund uh, created a genius character there. Um, and it's, so that's fun because that's inspiring. And then you just, you know, it, it, you know, it was a shame that we never got the opportunity to do more than the nine episodes that we did. But I, I'm thankful that I had that opportunity. Then there are characters like uh, Lemony Snicket, and in, a, in, in that series, what would what's challenging is um, it's really not trying to gussy things up, be be honest, be communicative, keep things at a certain pace, keep it interesting. And uh, you know, at the same time, it's got to be word for word. It's almost like Shakespeare because if you're not, then it changes the context. And when you have somebody like a Barry Sonnenfeld watching, he catches everything. And he's like, yeah, he said uh, they instead of there. Let's do it again. Um, but uh, everything has its has its uh, challenges. I hope that answered the question, sort of. Uh, following up on that, you're the you were the first person to play the tick, but the second person to play Lemony Snicket. How do you feel about Playing parts that have already been played. Did you take anything from the film of? Well, it's not the obviously not the first time. You know, the first Buzz Lightyear there was Tim Allen, and yeah. then I did the TV series. So I'm, I was already, you know, uh, I had already stepped into the shoes and become the poor man Buzz, the poor man's Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> well, that's what you know. I remember when I was a kid. You know, you'd watch a movie, and then they do the, the cartoon. And then you watch the cartoon, you're all excited, and then it's somebody else's voice. <laughs> all right. This is kind of cheap. <laughs> Guess I couldn't get the real guy. <laughs> I'm sitting here on my couch, I feel ripped off. And I go, that's going to be me. And I go, oh, that's fine. Um, but so, they're, you know, they're different. You know, there's, you know, um, there's always going to be different interpretations. There are, there are those... Um, pieces of material that are going to get done numerous times, so there are always going to be numerous numerous Batmans, numerous Spider-Mans, Supermans, Ticks. And so um, I think the best thing to do is to do never try to copy, but to do your own, you know, uh, take your own interpretation. I believe that, you know, in the, you know, the movie, they tried to sandwich, I guess, three books into one one and a half hour movie, so it wasn't able to be as, quite as cohesive. What we were able to do is take each book and do two almost one hour episodes and do them in their entirety. So it's more cohesive that way. Lemony was more of an uh, on-screen presence in the film, and I think it was just more of a narrative in the film. In the film, right, it's more of a narrative, and in, in, in our series, he was more present, you know. Um, but um, but uh, I think you always have to take things and go with your own approach. Even when I did Buzz Lightyear, I wasn't thinking about trying to sound like Tim Allen or do it that way. Um, but that was funny because he uh, he had to he had to he had to voice over my first three episodes of Buzz Lightyear because they wanted to put it on DVD and they wanted the original Buzz voice. And I have a very different dynamic timing. Everything's different. So Tim just cursed my name for nine hours in a studio. We met, we didn't know each other at the time. And he's like, who's this Warburton? What a, what an ass. Oh my God, I can't do this. Nine hours. And then we did a movie together, Big Trouble. It was a very Seinfeld picture. 
where uh, we had some uh, playful fun with each other. There's a better buzz. And then uh, we did a movie called Joe Somebody, where I smacked the crap out of him in front of his 10-year-old daughter. And it was that day I looked at him and I said, you know, I must be your worst nightmare. I, I voice your character. I'm following you from set to set. I'm here smacking the crap out of you. Go, it wasn't supposed to be like this, he said, uh, uh, you know, and we laugh. But uh, we get along great. I love him. He even hired me to do a pilot uh, the following year, so Tim and I get along great. Um, and really, really one, of the, one of the smartest, funniest guys I know. We were, um, we were playing golf one day, Tim and I, and um, we sat down and had lunch, and I eat really fast. And I had almost eaten all my lunch before Tim started eating, and I go, I'm so sorry, I, uh, I eat fast. I eat like I was uh, either in prison or I had older brothers, and I had neither, and he goes, I had both. <laughs> Had to choose another celebratory gesture other than the high five. Which one would he choose? Would he choose the dab, a fist bump? Hmm. Yeah. Um. You know what? I think David would probably, if it could be the high five, it would probably be the fist bump. But he'd make it really clumsy, like yeah. pump it up, <laughs> pump it up. He'd be nice. like, okay. be like, well, we don't say that. We just go, we oh. just fist bump, pump it up, bra. <laughs> professional career, whether it's painting, singing, or acting, uh, people go from the phase of not being known to being a very successful artist. Can you think of the moment or acting role it was where you said, man, I've really made it. I've succeeded in the field I'm trying to be a professional at. That is such a, um, at least in my case, I'd like to say I've worked so very, 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 very moderately just so that I can make it all the way to the middle where people might know my face and voice, but not my name, mission accomplished. Um, I've, all throughout my career, you know, like you get reminders, oh, well, things are going well, or people know who you are, or people appreciate your work. None of us as artists, I don't think, are ever always doing what we want to do, or, you know, certain doors open for me immediately. Certain doors are harder to pry open still, just because you do get typecast or perceived as doing a certain thing. You know, it was, I'm sure it was after that summer, though, during the ninth season of Seinfeld, because it was so high profile, everybody knew it was the last season, and that's where I did most of my episodes, that, uh, that then, I, you know, more opportunities were coming my way, and um, so that certainly was a transitional point for me. But what was more, really more meaningful than that is, was throughout the years after that, when I got some other opportunities, and some other successes, nothing quite as high profile as Seinfeld, but, though, but where I knew that, you know, I could, I could do different things. I was, you know, I always believed that I was capable of doing things outside of a role like Putty, but they really do, you know, when you do something that's very caricature-y, something sort of, uh, characters bigger than life, like a Kramer, it's really hard to break out of that. People just see you as that. And so for me, it was, you know, it was very much a concern and, and a blessing and a curse, you know, to do nine episodes of a TV show and literally be in, you know, in, uh, in peril of being typecast. We have time for one more question. What, what are you passionate about outside of acting? Uh, well, uh, my family, we have a St. Jude event that we, the, um, my family has a St. Jude event and it's the number one event in the nation of its kind for St. Jude, so it's a, it's a golf tournament weekend, but we've raised $12 million for the hospital in the last nine years. 
So I'm, um, I'm, we're passionate about that, and very um, that's very meaningful for us. And um, and um, you know, you know, selfishly, you know, just passionate. What I have fun now doing music. Actually, I didn't start singing until the tender age of 48. I'm 54 years old now, and I have a garage band. I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> But it is the most fun I've ever had. Now I'm a I'm a diehard Pearl Jam fan. I preach the gospel of Eddie Vedder. Uh, I have a Pearl Jam cover band, and it's just so much fun. We also cover the Doors, um, you know, some Stones, Dylan. But we're 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 Vedder centric, and uh, I am passionate about that. I really have more fun with my band than almost anything you know anything else. So yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Really. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.